Hello again, everyone. Welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter podcast for the 5th of September, 2022. Happy Monday to you. Happy Labor Day. Happy, glorious Labor Day. Probably going to be a shorter show because it is Labor Day and it's my wedding anniversary. So congratulations to really to the missus. She's the one who made out like a bandit in this deal. Let's just be honest. So I hope you're having a good Monday. I know there's something wrong with the news, uh, the feed through iTunes. I don't know what the hell it is. Uh, hopefully, I, I'm trying to figure out what it is, but ideally, this has happened before. Ideally, it's on iTunes, and since I didn't do anything different, and they just fix it on their own. I don't claim to understand what the hell is going on. I don't know the first damn thing about the technical side of it. Anyway, appreciate that. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. That is where you enter to win the signed book contest that's where you get the weekend effort review that's where you get to sound off and all that good stuff and like family photos and things and uh we have a, another big entrant into the autographed books this week so we lost a big name it was martin short versus greg gutfeld who wins you have to stick till the end of the show to find out and then we got another big name coming in to take on who remains who remains remains to be seen you'll just have to wait until the end of the show speaking of which let's get toward the end of the show by starting the show so the president speaks thursday night hitlerific is what comes to mind and and that's the that's the most family-friendly way i can put it hitlerific not only in tone and the fact that i believe the speech was a a very true direct translation from the original german so you got to give credit to Democrats for that. They uh, they paid the proper homage to their ideological forefathers. But the visuals of it were rather bizarre. How do you take Independence Hall in Philadelphia? Granted, you know, if you're staring at it, and you know that's a, it's a pretty bu- it's a pretty building, but it's one of the most beautiful buildings in the country, if not the world, if you actually have reverence for what occurred there back in the 18th century. Both the both Continental Congress and the Constitutional Convention. You look at that building and you, and you go, that's it's gorgeous. It's not, you know, architecturally, is it going to win awards? No. But it's beautiful because of what it represents and what happened inside of it. Oddly enough, um, I grew up on the opposite side of Detroit, uh, from Gross Point, but I, I'll never forget the first time I saw Gross Point South High School. If you get a chance, just search Gross Point South High School. I was driving, I was doing a play in Gross Point. I was part of uh, the Gross Point Summer Stock. It was my first professional acting gig. I made $5. And I was the only one, I think, who got $5. So they, they took pity on me because I was the only poor person in the whole thing. And they gave me the check, and I, I, I said, I really want this check. But I really want the $5. Like, can I cash this check and will you give me the canceled check back? And somewhere, I think I still have the, when we moved, I think I came across the canceled check. So somewhere I have my $5 check from the uh, Gross Point Summer Stock because I cashed it and they gave it back to me. But 
is driving around. If you ever go to Gross Point, Michigan, you go, my God, these houses are gorgeous. They're mansions everywhere. There's a mansion. There's a mansion on top of a mansion on top of a mansion right on Lake Sinclair there. And then you come across Gross Point South High School. And I'll never forget. I, I swore the first time. I said, holy Frank Tanana. That is Independence Hall. Gross Point South High School is modeled. It is a, a replica of Independence Hall. It's much bigger because Independence Hall isn't all that big. It's a it's a school, so you need to be able to fit some students in there. But it is, if you didn't know any, well, you, you'd probably realize you weren't in Philadelphia. But you go, my God, that's Independence Hall. If you just looked at it quickly, if you were blindfolded and ball gagged and they quickly whipped it off and, and put it back on you. You go that I mean I'm in Philadelphia. My school was built in the late fifties, early sixties, which means it's Soviet style. Everything's a right angle. There's no color. It's awful. God, it's just it's just a square. It's like somebody the the architect was given three shoe boxes. You can do anything you want as long as you incorporate these three shoe box shapes into it. And that's that's where I went to school. But anyway, Independence Hall is a beautiful setting, storybook setting for what, you know, if you want to give a speech, if you want to stir up feelings of patriotism, you go to Independence Hall. My God, just the building itself stirs up feelings of patriotism. And if you have them, if you're if you're a liberal, you probably won't. You go, oh my God, those slave owners, those white guys in there—they did horrible things, and they said about uh, they said about inequity across the country. If if uh, if you're a liberal, but if you're a normal human being, you look at it and you go, that's beautiful, beautiful. It's beautiful, man. Well, somehow they framed it and lit it in a way that it might as well have been Nuremberg, nineteen thirty-four. 1933, 1937, any one of the, you'd pick your Nuremberg rally. That's what it was. It was drenched in blood red lighting, which wiped out all of the architecture behind it, behind Joe Biden. Now, I don't know who did this. Maybe they uh, reanimated Lenny Riefenstahl to come in and do this just to, or they just had a, a Riefenstahl acolyte do that. Lenny Riefenstahl was the official documentarian. She's a woman who uh, made triumph of the will and a bunch of other Nazi propaganda. Um, Nobody seemed to think about what this would look like on TV. I love it personally because I think you look at the the audio, the video of this, and you go, this is horrible. This guy's a a freaking uh, totalitarian. It's Hitlerific. It really does invoke Hitler. Now, the, realistically, what they did was they lit Independence Hall in red, white, and blue to try, you know, if, you, if you're not really that much of a patriot, you really have to use a lot of symbolism to convey patriotism. If what you're going to do or say is to not, is not really in the traditional sense, conveying good patriotic thoughts, yeah, you you kind of have to bring in the visual aids. Just like if you're not a particularly funny comedian, you got to bring in the props, right? You got to bring in all the props. You bring in the bells, the whistles, the sound effects, the horns, the wee whistles, and things like that. Going and the rim shot, but a bump. 
Because, you know, a normal person who's actually funny doesn't need something to say, that was a joke, ba-bum-bum, laugh. But uh, if you're not funny, you need that kind of aid. And if you're really patriotic, you don't, you don't need a whole bunch, let's light the building in uh, red, white, and blue. It's Independence Hall. You can't really get much more patriotic than that. Let's just be honest. You can't get a whole lot more patriotic, or at least if you're trying to stir up sentiments of patriotism, you can't do much better than Independence Hall. That's where the country, the Declaration, the Constitution, all the founding fathers walked those halls. Not that there are really many halls up there, but they walked those that hallowed ground. You don't need the bells and whistles. But if you're Joe Biden and you're going out there to verbally attack half the country, to accuse half the country of being terrorists, <laughs> you, you, you do it in normal circumstances. You're like, well, that's really, uh, really a bit harsh. How about if we drape it, we dress it in patriotism? Unfortunately for the Biden people, while the Independence Hall was lit up, illuminated in red, white, and blue, they had it in order, I believe, of blue, red, and white, with red being the middle and the framing of the television, which is the way that most people saw it, because most people were not part of the hand-picked either White House staff, DNC staff, or Democrat mega-donor audience. I don't know what the audience was, but they were vetted and hand-picked. They were all seated there. The... Uh, the visual people got on television was just the middle section, the red section, which was completely Hitlerific. Joe Biden angrily flailing around. The only thing missing was a straight-up Heil Hitler. He came close with his flopping of his arms around. And behind him, in clear violation of federal election law and marine ethics, were two Marines standing guard in uniform at a political address. Now, just the other day, when Joe Biden went up to Pennsylvania to give another political speech that the White House tried to pretend was a uh, policy speech. The Marine Corps band performed at that. And afterwards, the Marine Corps band, members of the Marine Corps band, were concerned that they had just violated federal law by participating in a, a political event and not a presidential speech, but a political speech. They're very concerned about it because they performed in uniform. See, they, the president orders them to go somewhere, and they go somewhere. They do so under the guise of trusting the president of the United States and saying that he's not going to exploit them. There'd be, you know, a, a political advantage to sit there and go, you know, I'm going to give this speech to a bunch. If you use a bunch of military people in uniform as props around you as the background, it gives the, well, you, depending on how they're used, Joe Biden proved on Thursday night that you can look a lot like Hitler. But if they're used properly, you can look like, wow, he's got a lot of support from the military. The military loves that guy. When in reality, the, the odds are pretty high that the military despises Joe Biden. He was directly responsible for the deaths of 13 uh, servicemen and women in Afghanistan and the complete humiliation of the United States military in Afghanistan. He's shown no remorse or even acknowledgement of his failures and follies. I don't think that that goes over all that well with the vast majority of at least enlisted men and women. The brass in the Pentagon doesn't give a damn. They're, they're down with the progressive cause, and they'll kiss any butt they have to in order to get another star and increase their rank in retirement so they can get more money that way. And then it also 
increases the amount of money they're able to sell out to uh, the big defense contractors for when they do retire. So they don't care. But the rank and file do. I don't know if you remember this. There's a huge disconnect between the uh, the leadership in the military and the uh, the enlisted men and women. And this, I believe it was a military academy where Bill Clinton after Monica Lewinsky went and uh, gave the commencement address. And as they're handing out the degrees and everybody's graduating or whatever, a whole bunch of them refused to shake hands with Bill Clinton. They just flat out refused to shake hands with Bill Clinton. Why? Because they didn't have any respect for him. They didn't have to. Now, if he had been there as president and said, as president, and he saluted, they would have probably responded in kind, but that was their duty. Them as individuals, see, there's a difference between doing your duty and doing you know, what you believe is right and what you know to be right as an individual. As individuals, they wanted nothing to do with a man. He had done things that would have gotten them drummed out of the military immediately, without question and without concern. So you got Joe Biden standing there twice this week using Marines. He used the Marine Corps band. I believe the Marine Corps band was there last night too. Somebody really needs to file some complaints so the Biden administration does not pass the cost of these campaign rallies on to taxpayers. But behind him, weirdly illuminated, like they're wearing white gloves, and particularly one, their gloves were showing for the Marines, their hats were showing them. It was just weird silhouettes. It was kind of reminiscent of the First Order from the the latest Star Wars movies. It was kind of reminiscent from whatever the hell the the bad guys with the walking hammers were called in Pink Floyd's The Wall. It was reminiscent of the great dictator, Charlie Chaplin's mocking of Hitler, and it was reminiscent of Hitler. I mean, just go old school right back to the source. This was Joe Biden's Nuremberg rally. Not just visually, but in tone. We'll get to the tone and the words in a second. But just looking at the pictures, again, back to Independence Hall, you have a beautiful setting there. And you light it in such a way that, honestly, if you didn't know, if you weren't told that he was at Independence Hall, you would have never known he was at Independence Hall. It was lit from the bottom, lit up. And the the tower, the dome, the bell tower, it's gone. You can't see it. It's, it's drowned out by the horrible lighting. And what you're standing in front of is just, it might as well have been a guard tower at the Berlin Wall, which is kind of ironic that Joe Biden will have overseen the visual personification of our independence and our nation. He'd overseen that visually morphing into a symbol of absolute total division like the Berlin Wall. That's what Joe Biden did last night. I don't know <laughs> what he was I know what he was hoping to accomplish. I don't know who nobody framed this. Nobody said, "Hey, may I bet you what happened was the Lenny Riefenstahl in charge of this, whoever it was that they got, and they probably got somebody from Hollywood to come in and we'll put the Marines here and a clear violation of the law. They framed it during the day, they're looking through the cameras and they're seeing Independence Hall. 
undoubtedly independent. All right, well, this will be great. Joe will be standing right there in front of the tower that uh, used to house the Liberty Bell. Now it holds the Centennial Bell. Yes, all of my knowledge of the building comes from the movie National Treasure. But they're standing right in front. It'll be beautiful. And then it will have a red hue to it. And it'll be in red, white, and blue behind him. They placed the camera in a way that it only got the red. It drowned out the tower. It was indistinguishable from everywhere. And then you've got Adolf Biden up there flailing and screaming about how dangerous a threat to the country half the country is. And how if you do not follow me, if you do not engage in my politics, if you do not obey, you are a threat to democracy. You are a MAGA Republican. Oh, the MAGA Republicans. They're serious threats to democracy. Meanwhile, his party controls every level lever of power in Washington, D.C. The threat to democracy controls nothing. So what threat is, are they posing? None. The threat is that they might cause people to think about what uh, Adolf Biden is doing there. And that has to be his name, I think, from now on, uh, because the visuals, the sentiment, the tone is too on the nose. Joe Biden is a progressive. Adolf Hitler was a progressive. Ideological inheritance I think from what the torch has been passed to an old generation. Progressivism is uh, the root of uh, Nazism, fascism, socialism, communism, really, truly is. And the modern Democratic Party, they're all branches of the same, I can't say tree, tumor. They're all fingers of the same tumor, trying to cause societal rot, trying to do as much damage as humanly possible. So I think the name Adolf Biden is absolutely 100% appropriate. So therefore, henceforth, he shall be known as Adolf Biden. So the president at the podium, it is enough about the visuals. Let's talk about the words that came out of the, uh, the president's mouth. While the visuals were Hitlerific, the words were as well in a different way they're they're being very careful they want to stir up animosity they would like to inspire businesses to act on their own they would like to inspire people to act on their own communities to act on their own to say look we're going to ostracize these trump people they're they're dangerous they're dangerous heard the president of the united states say they're dangerous we don't want your business we don't want to do business with you they did this on a business scale in something called Operation Choke Point, which was to say the federal government couldn't ban businesses outright, but they encouraged the Biden or the uh, Obama Biden administration. They encouraged banks, credit card companies, etc. The means by which payment was conveyed and people, you know, paid their bills to refuse to work with people that in businesses they did not like, in particular the gun industry, right? Gun manufacturers. Oh, no, no, you can, you're free to manufacture guns all you want. But they've created and they were trying to create an environment in which no bank would take your business. So it makes it kind of hard to run a successful business if you cannot engage in the monetary systems the way that everybody else can. Credit card companies do not process money payments online 
to these particular companies because you don't like what they do. Now, what they do is perfectly legal, but you don't like it. That sort of thing. That was Operation Choke Point. It wasn't an order from the Obama administration. It was a wink and a nod and a little bit of encouragement. Go ahead. Do it. We'll protect you. They tried to use the power of government without using the power of government to shut down people. Just like it's rather disturbing. But there was, let me see if I can pull this up. There is an exchange in emails that has been exposed from the uh, attorneys, various attorney generals, Missouri's attorney general in particular, going after social media exposing social media and the federal government and how they colluded. We know what they did about the the Hunter Biden laptop story. We had Mark Zuckerberg come out and say, well, you know, the FBI told us that it was uh, garbage and we should suppress it, so we suppressed it. We didn't completely suppress it the way Twitter did, but we made sure that few people as possible saw it. Well, that Hunter Biden laptop story was 100% true. Then you're looking at a situation where now these emails that came out, thanks to the Missouri Attorney General, show that members of the Biden administration, these emails are from July of 2021, which is well into the Biden administration, had been working and coordinating with people who work at Facebook to set up weekly and monthly meetings about what is and isn't misinformation on their platforms and what should then therefore be throttled, be uh, pulled back from view. Kid you not. Thanks so much. So and so. some of this is a, the redacted, the emails are redacted, the names are redacted. Sentiment is not. says, uh, I have been talking, so-and-so and I have been talking about, in addition to our weekly meetings, now this is somebody from Facebook, two members of the Biden administration, political appointees, at the Biden administration. By the way, the subject line is Facebook misinformation claims help debunking. I don't know who started this thread. I don't know where it came from, if it was Facebook reaching out to the feds or the feds reaching out to Facebook. But as soon as one of those things did it, somebody should have said, you know, this isn't right. The government shouldn't be involved in this. But no, Democrats saw an opportunity and they took it. Democrats helping Democrats. Facebook is a bunch of Democrats. So-and-so and and I have been talking about, in addition to our weekly meetings, doing a monthly misinformation slash debunking meeting with maybe claim topics communicated a few days prior so that you can bring the matching experts and chat casually for 30 minutes or so. Is that something you'd be interested in? Now, this is a Facebook executive Asking people within the CDC, this is COVID, within the CDC, would you like to be able to have a say in what we allow to be published on our website? Now remember, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all these places, they say, we're not, we're not publishers. We don't, uh, set, we don't have any say over what is published on there. Therefore, we should not be held responsible. Libel laws should not apply to us because we don't have anything to do with that. It's, we're a kiosk. Anybody with a thumbtack and a piece of paper that looking for a 
bassist for their band can come up and stab it in there and and it's on. Except here they are coordinating with a government agency, a powerful government agency that is essentially still to this day running a huge percentage of United States policy and throttling our liberties uh, based on nothing, based on their own assertions that they can do it. And here's Facebook going, we'd love to talk to you. We not only, in addition to our weekly meetings, so you have weekly meetings, but we'd like to do a once a month thing, uh, particularly on misinformation and, and debunking. Wait a second. What the hell are you talking about weekly if you're going to cover this stuff monthly? It's unclear. Of course, naturally, the CDC person writes back, yes, we would love to do that. <laughs> of course, we would. Yes, of course. Hey, person with totalitarian tendencies would you be interested at all in having more power in your hands and a tighter grip on that power why yes i would i absolutely would hey hunter biden i noticed that you have you know a pound of crack there would you be interested in three pounds of crack yes yes i would i absolutely that's a good i was just thinking that i could use many more pounds of crack so we're right simpatico on the same thing <laughs> yes, we would love to do that. I do think getting the claims several days in advance would be critical to being sure we have what you need. Yeah. The cl so Facebook is going to send along, hey, here's what people are saying on Facebook about COVID-19. And it gives the CDC several days to just go, uh, here's how we debunk it. Here's how we do whatever. Here's We'll just get an expert. God knows they could find an expert to say anything. If the the pandemic has proven anything, it is that you can get an expert with the promise of a government contract or whatever, dangling it out there like catnip. You can get a government expert to say any damn thing you want. This is coordination. This means that Facebook is a publisher, not a uh, a kiosk. What is that section? I can't even remember. Section two thirty or something like that, where um, they're sitting there. Yeah, it's section two thirty of the Communications Decency Act is what insulates Facebook, Twitter, all these social media sites from from liability. They're not publishers; they are simply posts. Anybody can put up there. Now we've known for a long time that they censor what people can put up there. They do most of it under the guise of things that, and this is where they broach the concept. And this is why. The ACLU a couple of years ago when Trump first came into office deciding that they would no longer defend free speech absolutely was such a big deal. The ACLU, no, no, we can't do it because there's going to be hate speech and our donors don't like some of the things that we're defending. So we're simply not going to do it anymore. It's the ultimate in cowardice is what the ACLU did. But it's so important because that's the only speech that really needs protecting. The concept is what needs protecting, the concept in any form. So when you got the government saying, coordinating with Facebook, they're now circumventing Section 230 exemptions. They're, they're getting around and saying, well, we're just working with the government. No, you're violating. You are becoming a publisher. And as such, you should be subject to libel laws. If you have somebody posting something that says, you know, uh, Derek Hunter is a big old poopy head, whatever. And you go, okay, well... Facebook make you aware of the fact that my head is not, in fact, made of poop. And should you refuse to take that post down, you are then become liable 
for it. Now they say, well, that's going to stifle online conversations. Not really. Not really. It might actually raise the level of it. But it also hold these people accountable and prevent them from coordinating with government. If they're meeting weekly and monthly with the CDC about what is allowed to be said on their platform, you shouldn't need actually the repeal of Section 230 to make them responsible for anything published on there. These emails from the Attorney General of the State of Missouri prove beyond a reasonable doubt in my mind at least, and one would think a skilled lawyer could make the case even more effectively in court, that they have been in violation of Section 230 and therefore have no right to the protections of Section 230. And if that happens, you're going to see one of two things happen. You're either going to see a whole bunch of censorship on these social media platforms where everything that could be seen as a personal slight libel would be taken down, or they would actually go to the point where we uh, they are what they say they are, where they're just a kiosk. They take a hands-off approach. Either way, I think you win mostly by punishing these people because they clearly, clearly violated the spirit of the law. Would you like to have a say? Oh, yeah, we would love to do that. Who wouldn't? Like, hey, Adolf Hitler, would you like to be the administrator of uh, singlegermanjews.com? Yes, yes, I would. That would be very nice. I'd be able to track these people. It would be lovely. Thank God the internet didn't exist then. The Holocaust would have been worse. Now I want to play you some of the audio from the President of the United States. Not a lot of audio from his speech. Like most Biden speeches, it was wildly terrible and almost wholly forgettable. That's what's amazing to me about this presidency. Now he's doing serious damage to the country and he's having an impact policy-wise. But as an individual, as a president, as a person... He's largely irrelevant. By, by Tuesday, this speech will have been completely forgotten. Really, it will. I think Democrats would prefer it be forgotten now, and I think that Republicans would prefer it be remembered through November, and they'll do their best to try and remind people of it. But in general, it was a forgettable speech, except for the fact that the President of the United States spent 25 minutes in front of uh, the historic Independence Hall demonizing half the country, calling them fascists or semi-fascists. And in that sense, it is memorable. In every other sense, it is completely forgettable. It was so bad, in fact, that some people had uh, a negative reaction to it. Brianna Keeler of CNN, one of the such people. Now, she's, she's liberal. She's left-wing. She's whatever. She watched it, and she tweeted out, quote, whatever you think of this speech, the military is supposed to be apolitical. Positioning Marines in uniform behind the president for a political speech flies in the face of that. It's wrong when Democrats do it. It's wrong when Republicans do it. Now, she's doing a bit of both sides-ism there. I don't remember Republicans doing it. I remember, you know, Donald Trump considering, planning, hoping for, wanting to do some sort of parade honoring the military and everybody on the left going, oh, my God, it's very Soviet. 
Why would you do this? This is just what they do in China. This is what they do in Russia. This is wrong. And it would be using the military for political purposes, and it would be wrong, 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 wrong. And then they uh, go ahead and use them as props. They use the military, the Marine Corps marching band as props, too. And there's no uproar. Instead, you get Brianna Keeler. Kudos to her, I suppose, for tweeting this out on Thursday night after the speech saying it's wrong. The real question wasn't, I don't know, because I didn't watch. Nobody watches CNN's morning show. The real question is, did she take that attitude to the air? Even the both sides, the BS of the both sides. Uh, did she take that to the air? Because, you know, her Twitter feed, her Twitter following is decent, 300,000 plus. But it's different in uh, than it is if she does it on television. She had three hours on Friday morning. Did she do it? I don't know. It didn't seem to make the rounds, so I highly doubt she actually took that attitude to the airwaves and said what the president did was wrong and disturbing. No. Okay. Meanwhile, another reaction to the speech is from Jonah Goldberg. It's sad to think I used to have respect for Jonah Goldberg. He's now editor-in-chief of The Dispatch, which is... Uh, Funded seemingly on condition that they just whine about anybody who is a, a real conservative or who says favorable things about Donald Trump. He says, oh, just to be clear, I agree with what uh, most of what Biden has said, nearly all of it. But I still think this is a mistake. Oh, OK. Well, there you go. Your fellow traveler over there. Congratulations. The uh, funders of your job will be most pleased, which makes you wonder, uh, much like I've talked about before, did, did they ever really believe in the garbage they spewed? Or did they uh, only spew it because it was the key to adding a zero to their check, a key to them getting a cable news deal? They happily hammered checks from Fox News, him and, and Steve Hayes, Steve Hayes, I like personally, or always been, always liked personally. Maybe I never really knew him at all. But um, Jonah, one of the things that Andrew Breitbart told me, we talked about Jonah Goldberg once, and he he did not, he was not a fan of Jonah Goldberg. Said he's the the most pompous, most arrogant person he's ever met, and that's true. You can still like somebody and and they, them be nice and whatever, and be that way. Jonah is. Uh, Jonah looks down his nose at everybody unless and until they can do something for him. When he has a book coming out, boy, howdy, he is the nicest, most accommodating human being you could possibly imagine. And he'd bend over backwards. He'd he'd cut your lawn if you asked him to, if it would get publicity for his book. Now, part of that's admirable. you got to sell a book. It isn't going to sell itself. It's the phoniness of it that I have a problem with. But him sitting out there, just to be clear, I agree with most of what Biden has said, nearly all of it. But I still think this is a mistake. Like, Sorry that uh, your guy has let you down. And it makes you wonder, all that money that you made off of the people you're now sitting there going, yeah, no, I agree, they're, they're a threat to democracy. They're monsters. They're little, little Eichmanns, if you remember that phrase from after 9-11. You remember that? Um, are you going to give refunds to all of that? The guy who wrote liberal fascism is endorsing liberal fascism. Now, liberal fascism was written as a cautionary tale 
Apparently, the Biden administration took it as a how-to manual or a, a good guidepost for going forward, and the author of it is down with the cause. Interesting. Anyway, the President of the United States, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to just a couple of clips from Joe Biden's speech at Independence Hall. That is the work of my presidency, a mission I believe in with my whole soul. But first, we must be honest with each other and with ourselves. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Now, I want to be very clear, very clear up front. <clears throat> not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. That is, I know. I've been able to work with those non-MAGA Republicans. Who? Who? Who have you worked with, Joe? Where are these mythical Republicans where you've passed bipartisan legislation with? You peeled off a couple of votes. You got Liz Cheney's vote. Congratulations on gun control. There you go. You got Liz. Well, that's really not, uh, not working with Republicans. It's not. That's, that's getting the weak in the herd <laughs> that's, that's peeling off the zebra with a limp and tackling it to the ground congratulations i guess he's of course lying now this is a speech remind you of about a the threat to democracy posed by anybody who does not like joe biden the day before uh karen jean pierre who is historic said that if you hold opinions that are outside of what the majority of the American public thinks you are there before, by very definition, in the extreme. That's a really interesting way to frame it when you're working for a president of the United States with between 40 and 42 percent approval ratings, because you're essentially saying that Joe Biden, everything he does is extreme because he is not liked by a majority of the American people. In fact, he is disliked. He has a disapproval rating over 50%. He is disliked by the majority of the American people, and therefore, by their own definition, he is extreme. But that's beside the point. I don't expect Corinne Jean-Pierre to have noticed that she said that. She's not bright enough to have it register, and it wasn't written in her binder. So what are you going to do? But in the midst of this speech about the threat that we pose to this country, our country, Somehow, we pose a threat to it. Joe Biden then goes on and rambles about the economy. Why? Because it's a political speech. Now, this was not supposed to be a political speech. We were told expressly that's why the Marines were there. That's why the Marine Corps Band was there. That was the guise under which the White House requested the time from the networks. It was an important speech about democracy. Well, he went off on some tangents there where he was blowing smoke up his own rear end. I hope you see it as well. Just look around. I believe we could lift America from the depths of COVID. So we passed the largest economic recovery package since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And today, America's economy is faster, stronger than any other advanced nation in the world. We have more to go. It's stronger, faster. We can rebuild it. It is Steve Austin. It's the Steve Austin of economies. Six million dollar reference for 
six million dollar man reference for those of you playing the home game. Yeah, we're the best. We're the best. We're in the midst of a recession. Wow. I've never seen anybody celebrate a recession this way, but the, the crowd of barking seals there in Philadelphia were down with it. Oh, recession. That's great. We got a recession. We're good. We're, our economy is uh, terrible. Our uh, inflation is higher than everybody, but I think four countries. But congratulations, Joe Biden. You're, you're, you're historic. It's just that they leave off the ickly bad at the end of it. You're historically bad. Joe, and wildly incompetent. Now, of course, you can't be this wildly incompetent without enablers, fellow travelers, if you will, in the mainstream media. And boy, howdy, does this guy have them. One of the uh, child predator enablers over at the Lincoln Project, Rick Wilson, tweeted out, this is one hell of a speech. So he's locked up. Democrats had an iffy time with the perverted child molester enabler vote when Hillary Clinton had Jeffrey Epstein killed to protect her husband and her source of revenue. But they seem to have repaired that breach, and now they're back together again with the Lincoln Project being on board. They, of course, enabled child sexual predators or would-be child sexual predators for a long time and covered up for it. Eugene Robinson, columnist for the Washington Post, quote, Biden's speech was an urgent wartime address. Did you know that we are at war, that we are in a civil war? In a war, what do you do? Your your enemy, you have to kill your enemy. There is a Democrat in good standing, a Morning Joe regular. This was, in fact, tweeted out by Morning Joe, saying that we're in a war, a wartime address. This is an urgent wartime address. Well... Did have the president of the United States last week talk about how if you're going to come at us with guns, we're going to bomb you with F-35s. And okay, that's an interesting way. These are the enablers of the president of the United States. The Washington Post, of course, I mean, all of these institutions are out there touting exactly what it is that uh, the president of the United States wanted. The Washington Post put together a conglomeration, a clip, a best of clip, highlights from Joe Biden's speech, they say. And they put it out saying that Joe Biden explains the threat from the right wing. Joe Biden explains the threat. It's an editorial comment right there. Joe Biden explains the threat. says, in a fiery speech on September 1st, President Biden explained how extremist Republicans are threatening American democracy. Not claimed, explained explained well here's part of their their video clip equality and democracy are under assault we do ourselves no favor to pretend otherwise so tonight i've come to this place where it all began to speak as plainly as i can to the nation about the threats we face about the power we have in our own hands to meet these threats. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans, but there's no question the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And they're working right now 
as I speak in state after state to give power to decide elections in America to partisans and cronies, empowering election deniers to undermine democracy itself. They tried everything last time to nullify the votes of 81 million people. This time, they're determined to succeed in thwarting the will of the people. Hey, those damn Republicans are out there enabling people trying to thwart the outcome of elections. Now, it's weird that he pluralized that because there's really only one election that anybody is complaining about, and it's the one where Grandpa Badfinger there, the senile SOB in the White House, who's accusing half the country of fascism while giving a Hitlerific speech in front of the military with demononic red lights illuminating him. That guy's, uh, he's uh, complaining about election denial. It's just the one that, that he somehow won. Because it is a little bit curious how a guy like that could have gotten so many votes. Just seems wildly improbable. But he doesn't care about Democrats denying all the other votes. All the other, uh, here is, uh, this is, there's a 10-minute Republican, R, the RNC put together this 10-minute video clip of Democrats denying the election results from 2016. They also deny the uh, 2018 election down in Georgia. They, in fact, declare the declare illegitimate any election they actually lose. Go back to 2000, George W. Bush, so on and so forth. This is where Democrats live. This is what they do. It's only a problem when Republicans do it, apparently. So here, Democrats in election denial. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's a real what I'm thing. scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He's an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election. And he was put in the office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is a legitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. But there absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. So that legitimacy is in question, yes. So that was a very tainted election. And and in that sense, it's illegitimate. This is wildly illegitimate. Tainted election. Whoa. Tainted election. Pathetic. Hypocritical. Not surprising in the least. That is your Democratic Party, ladies and or a gentleman. Anybody shocked by that? Of course you're not. And speaking of hypocrisy, I want to play you this clip of Karine Jean-Pierre. Historic. She's historically bad. As press secretary 
talking about schools. And in this clip, she weasels around. I want It's a long clip because I want you to just feel the weaselness. I want you to feel the squirminess in what she's saying. But in it, she ultimately blames Donald Trump and Republicans for the closing of schools during COVID. Not Democrats who actually did it. Somehow the people who were opposed to it being done were responsible for it because that's how Democrats work. It's called gaslighting be optimistic about. Um, the, the National Assessment of Educational Progress uh, is, has this new testing that shows that nine-year-olds lost ground in both math and reading in pretty dramatic ways as a result of the pandemic. Um, what is the president going to do about it? What is the administration going to do about this severe learning loss? And does the administration shoulder any blame for not pushing schools to reopen sooner? So let's step back to where we were uh, not too long ago when this president walked into this administration, uh, how mismanaged uh, the pandemic, the response to the pandemic was, uh, how 47% of schools uh, were, uh, in, in less than six months, uh, our schools went from 46% uh, to, to open to nearly all of them being open to full time. That was the work of this president. And that was the work of Democrats, in spite of Republicans not voting for uh, the American Rescue Plan, which $130 billion went to school to have the ventilation, to be able to uh, have the tutoring and, and the teachers and being able to hire more teachers. And that was because of the work that this administration uh, did. We were, we were in a place where, uh, again, schools were not open. Uh, the economy was shut down. Businesses were shut down. And what we have seen is, uh, you know, we've seen the numbers, but I think that's what we see. That's how we saw. It, it shows you how mismanaged uh, the pandemic was uh, and how the impact of that mismanagement had on, the ch on, on kids' progress and academic well-being. And so, again, our priority remains to make sure states and schools and districts are using Using these funds, that $130 billion, billion uh, this is going to go again to tutoring, to more teachers, real solutions, real solutions to make sure that our kids are getting what they need. And, you know, every Republican Congress voted against that money. That is the reality. We had to do this on our own. And so, uh, you know, we're going to make sure that those funds are directed uh, to the, the most resources towards students who, are, who will fall, who will, uh, who fell the furthest behind. <laughs> That was a rambling, incoherent answer, and I wanted you to hear it because uh, the extent to which the BS that they spew from the White House podium is uh, epic, quite frankly. It really, honestly, truly is epic. How these people, how someone like uh, that woman there can live with herself uh, will forever remain a mystery. I don't get how she can do it, but, you know, that's what she does. That's who these people are. But just for fun, now there are plenty, plenty examples. Tom Elliott from Grabian put together a list of like 26 Democrats videos. Democrats saying we can't open schools. We can't possibly open schools. So uh, I just took two of them. Nancy Pelosi will be first. This is from July of 2020. Talking about opening schools or not opening schools. 
Of course, that is something we have always fought for, and it's so sad that for many of our children, their breakfast, their lunch, and their food comes for when they go to school, and we have a plan on how these kids, when they're not in school, will be fed and the mobile units going out. We've had this for summer school in the past, not related to a pandemic, but we know how to get this done. But the fact is, it's not a question of balancing equities. It's about a question of crossing a threshold of safety. We cannot say to kids, well, go to school, you might get sick and take it home because they're the biggest risk. The biggest risk to the spread of the pandemic is opening up the schools in a way that is not safe. It's not safe. So if we're going to defeat this pandemic, we shouldn't be opening up to more arena to spread. We should use this as an opportunity for our children, put the resources in. We know what needs to be done. The resources are there to do it. She doesn't no open schools. Now we go to the hero of the pandemic, Andrew Cuomo, before he was disgraced in the same month. And we'll look at the data in that first week and then we'll make a decision. Uh, I heard the president speak uh, yesterday and uh, what he was tweeting about today on schools. And look, uh, this is getting a little old as far as I'm concerned. And I heard what the president said on schools, but uh, this has been there, done that, right? Uh, School reopenings are a state decision, period. Uh, That is the law, and uh, that is... Uh, the the way we're going to proceed. Uh, it's not up to the President of the United States. There is something called the Constitution that guides government power, uh, and then there are a series of laws that are based on that Constitution, and the President does not have the authority to open schools. Yeah, there you go. Democrats, so oh, it was our decision. Stay out of it, Republicans. Stay out of the Trump administration. We'll decide. We need to keep the schools closed. And now the White House is saying that it was the Republicans who kept the schools closed. Florida was open. Weirdly, wasn't it? It's weird. All right, that is enough for today. Go enjoy your damned holiday weekend, those of you who have the day off. Man, I mean, I could have taken the day off, but I didn't want to. I'm saving that holiday. I'm banking that holiday. Anyway, the news you've been waiting for. Martin Short was one this week. Martin Short. A lot of people wanted Martin Short. A lot of people wanted Greg Gutfeld. It was about a 50-50 as you get. And uh, Teresa J. Buxton wanted Martin Short. So she gets Martin Short because her name was drawn. Now, who who steps up to take on Greg Gutfeld? Why, it's none other than number one New York Times multiple best-selling author, Brad Thor. Brad Thor, and uh, not from his Scott Harvath series, but it's an offshoot. It's a spin-off, if you will. It's women-centered, although it's from the Scott Harvath universe, and I think maybe the character probably appears in this too. It's the Athena Project, a signed first edition. I got to uh, hang out with Brad Thor. He's a friend of a friend, and uh, we, uh, he came to town a couple years ago. I had a bunch of his books signed. And the Athena Project, first printing, first edition, is right here in my hand, signed by the man himself. I think it was over dinner. And you um, you can win it. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast and or Derek Hunter dot locals dot com. Look for the post with the pictures. 
comment on the post with which one you want to win. That'd be really weird if you wanted to win the Brad Thor one and you said, I want Greg Gutfeld, because if your name is drawn, you won't get Brad Thor. So be very specific about the book you want. If you uh, leave it up to me, a couple people said, like, you can go ahead and choose. Um, I don't know what I'm going to I wouldn't know what I would pick for you. I don't. I'd just wildly guess. So if you're even leaning one direction, just say which one you want. Anyway, congratulations to Teresa Buxton. Congratulations to everybody, and good luck to all of you for the Brad Thor, Greg Gutfeld autographed book fight that lies ahead. Happy Labor Day. We'll be back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>